0: Watches. Let's talk watches this is the enthusiasts guild a place for conversations about wonderful and interesting things with the people who enjoy them i'm fletcher c finch and today i'm joined by
1: I'm nick Barcom.
0: and brian dorchek brian can you tell our listeners a little bit about yourself
1: i don't know how old am i now i don't know i, was just, <laughs> I just had a birthday and i'm forgetting this stuff already uh yeah uh my job has nothing to do with watches it's just kind of something i fell into um, well, I ride motorcycles. I drink beer with these guys, and that's
0: yeah, it. those are all good things. And Nick, can you tell us a little bit about yourself? Sure.
1: Yeah, mid thirties,
2: artist, trying to break into that game, get out of programming. Yeah.
0: What brought us together today is we wanted to talk about Brian's love of watches. How did you discover your interest in watches?
1: Like I remember my grandpa years ago having like a couple nicer ones that you know, after he passed, um, I got, there was nothing, nothing crazy. A couple old like Bolivas, Hamilton, and that was kind of it. Um, and then a guy I work with was really, really into him. And I just kind of all of a sudden started going to like flea markets or garage sales, just like trying to find them. And I started buying cheap ones here and there and then got into nicer ones. And that was kind of it. The, The one that I bought that really kind of got me going was I bought a fake uh, Vacheron Constantine, which would be a $30,000 watch if it was real. I found it at Superflea on Walden that's now gone for $10. Mm. And for some reason, I thought it was real.
0: You could never really tell at the Superflea what was real and what wasn't. And uh, (laughs) this was definitely fake.
1: (laughs) 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 After, like, if I looked at it now, it's. Without a shadow of a doubt, but, you know, it had a, a movement like like your pocket watch here does, mm-hmm. and I just figured, oh, well, there's no way they'd can that they be making fakes of this, but <laughs> I, I had no idea.
0: Do, do you still own that watch? No,
1: it broke. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it broke, it, it broke, and I stopped wearing it because it was just preposterous.
0: I should tell the listeners that you're here with a collection of wristwatches and some pretty neat travel cases. The knockoff that you had, mm-hmm. did you open it up?
1: Uh it actually it had um called an exhibition case back so on the back side of the watch it has a crystal too so you can see the movement. Yeah. Um and I mean it looked to my my unintelligent eye at the time. You're <laughs> not, to un, the, un, untrained. It, You're untrained, novice. I guess yeah. you call it. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. It looked the part to me at least, but I had no idea. You didn't crack into it? I did it afterwards. Yeah. Yeah. I did afterwards and it was kind of you know, it's just cheap. Did not make any sense mm, to you at no. that point? No. Not at all. <laughs> You're like, oh cool. Uh, what's this? <laughs> <laughs> Pretty much.
0: <laughs> what do these things do? So, for the uninitiated, can you describe what a an exhibition case
1: is? On the backside of a watch is normally just closed off. On exhibition case backs, it, there is a, a little window, and you can see the movement on the inside. It's gimmicky. Sometimes a lot of brands like to do it. Some refuse to do it. It's it all depends.
0: Mm-hmm. I do always think it's it's neat to be able to see the workings. I,
1: I think it's cool too. Yeah, a lot of them that I got over here are are like that.
0: Do you remember the first watch that you owned?
1: Yeah, it was a, it was just a fossil. Um, I bought it at, (laughs) I bought it at PacSun. And the only reason I bought it was because it had an, like an LED or LCD display on it. Mm -hmm. That was, it was the Pontiac Firebird logo. Mm -hmm. And the flames would move on it. And at the time my first car was, was a Trans Am. So I was like, I'm gonna buy the watch that matches my car.
0: (laughs) Oh, that's pretty
2: neat. Not to date you, but what, like how long ago was that? Oh, geez. 2002? Like, oh, like pre pre smartwatch. Oh, yeah. yeah oh, this is, yeah.
1: This is like, yeah. This is like... Oh, yeah. This is like oh two oh three. Yeah. Cool technology at that mm-hmm. point. Yeah. Oh, yeah.
0: Is there an era or a style of watch that is especially interesting to you?
1: I've been trying to get more into stuff from the 60s and 70s now, but unfortunately, so is everybody else. And mm-hmm. the prices are through the roof right now for some of this stuff. But as far as style go, I I like mostly dive watches. That's for the most part what I've got here. Sports watches, stuff that you can kinda actually wear and beat around and not have to worry about ruining it, like a dress watch.
0: Mm-hmm. Now what's what's the difference between, say, a, a sport watch and a dive watch compared to a dress watch? They're usually going to be a lot
1: more robust. Um just it'll be some type of stainless steel as opposed to gold or or a precious metal. The crystals, uh for the most part are sapphire on either one but they'll be a little a little bit harder there's usually some ceramic on fourth watches depending on the brand and they're also just usually larger i mean i know it doesn't help your listeners but that would be a dive watch Mm -hmm. this would be a dress watch it's a lot more it's just smaller actually on this one it's an acrylic crystal instead for the most part the gist of of the differences between the two of them well and and if
0: yeah. yeah if you were diving it would be easier to read a, a larger
1: oh watch. absolutely yeah i mean it's it's for the most part like a sports watch or something like that is going to be something that was made to serve a function you know mm-hmm. what i mean and a dress watch is just that it's to look good
2: well it has to withstand pressure too
1: right yes yeah yeah and then there's some that rolex made a model called was called the the deep sea it was a model of the sea dweller that they built especially for james cameron when he was looking for the titanic mm-hmm. and it was initially built to go on compression dives, but what they ended up doing was, uh, I forget what the diving vessel that they used when they went down, it actually has arms on it, and at 12,000 feet below sea level, they put the watch on this thing, and it mm-hmm. was fine
0: underwater. I want to see that. If, if I remember correctly, it was the Elvin 2, is the, the diving. That
1: sounds familiar now, yeah. but it's, there's a lot of, a lot of like the, the larger brands like to do, I wouldn't call it a stunt, but they like to kind of show that, yeah, it can do this. Omega famously went to the moon in the 60s or the first watch on the moon. You know, that's just kind of their claim to fame. Rolex built the Explorer. His name escapes me now. First guy to climb Mount Everest was in the 50s. Oh, uh, Edmund Tillary. Uh, yes. They built the Rolex Explorer for him for when he was climbing Mount Everest. The first I didn't time. realize that. Yep.
0: Hmm. If someone were to buy, say, a, a cheap watch at, at a store, it's mm-hmm. usually a quartz movement. It's pretty inexpensive, but fairly reliable. What's the difference with these higher-end watches or, or older watches?
1: You mean in terms of, of accuracy or how they're put together? or I, How they're
0: put together, how, how they work.
1: Well, the quartz watch just uses a battery, and it's, I don't know the exact science, but I do know there is a quartz crystal located in the watch that gets vibrated through a coil and that vibration is turned into timekeeping. Mm-hmm. When it comes to a mechanical watch, there's a spring that's wound up tightly and then there's what's called an escapement. If you ever looked inside of like your watch, that thing that's shaking back and forth, mm-hmm. that's where all the timekeeping is taking place. That's called a balance wheel and it swings one way is considered one beat, swinging the other way is another beat. Looking at that second hand, yours is probably 21,600 beats per hour. It's a very common speed that they work at. Higher brands like Rolex, Zenith especially, which I don't have one of those, those are crazy money. (laughs) Rolex all beat at uh, 28,800 beats per hour. So Mm -hmm. the second hand sweeps a lot smoother. Zenith has a new one out now that's 30 something thousand and that's that's pretty cool. But they're using a totally different movement technology now, which is probably the first, uh, I'd say the first innovation in how a watch or a clock works in 300 years. Every wow. yeah, you know, every every clock for the most part, with the exception of Well yeah, the yeah, that ticking there is it's essentially operating lever. what's called a lever escapement. Mm-hmm. Um, all of these use it, that uses it. Zenith has developed something completely different now. And I don't even know how it works. I saw it and it's I'm I'm not quite sure how they pulled <laughs> it off.
0: What was the first time you opened up a watch got inside?
1: When I bought that fake one. Because <laughs> <laughs> I thought it had to be real and when I opened it up I found a bunch of plastic. Uh yeah.
0: <laughs> what was the first time you repaired one or kinda got into that? I bought a cheap Seiko off of eBay
1: that was sold as like not running. Mm-hmm. And I just kinda figured I'm gonna start here and I started taking it apart and I completely I I couldn't even put it back together. Like I i ruined it. So then I found a couple other ones that were cheap um and just kinda kept going until I got it all back together at one point, you know. So I learned I learned Seiko movements like pretty well. And then I worked on an Invicta for a friend of mine that had a Swiss movement in it, the movement company called Eda that supplies movements with a ton of different companies. Um and that was the first like proper watch movement that I'd ever worked on. And it was a little like a little scary because mm-hmm. like if I screw something up or lose a part or something goes flying out of my tweezers, I don't know what I'm gonna do. You know what I mean? But uh it ended up being easier because it's just the the build quality is so much better the hardware they use, the screws they use, just everything fits. It's just designed so much better, parts of the machine better. It ended up being easier to work on than the cheaper stuff.
0: Being self-taught, have you learned things from websites, videos, books? What's, what's your process been for that?
1: Oh, YouTube. YouTube? Lots of YouTube. Yeah, there's, there's actually tons of YouTube channels out there now where it's... There's one guy named Mark who's got one that's one of the best. He's got a great camera. the the movement fills the entire screen somehow he does this without getting his hands in the way and just talks you through exactly what he's doing and how he's doing it like and Mm -hmm. it's you know you'll watch it's a two-hour video to watch him disassemble and reassemble a watch movement but it's i'd sit there at my desk like with it up on my computer and just Uh kind of hit pause as i'm doing what he's doing and just
0: kind of go through it that's i i find for Mechanical things, especially, it can be so useful to watch videos of people working on things because you get a better sense of the process and almost the physicality of it mm-hmm. before you do it yourself
1: yeah it's it definitely helps because reading diagrams and just kind of looking at like when they they don't give you an instruction manual mm-hmm. like whoever built the watch or built the movement it's just a blow up of all the parts and it's kind of Shows them all exploded and that's it. There's no order of how to take things apart. There's no nothing to help you diagnose it if it's doing something. You've got to just kind of get in there. Do
2: you find that each watch, um, when you take it apart, has its own schematic? Or generally it's like these movements go here, these movements go here. There may be like one or two little differences between the watches or the companies.
1: They're built very similarly in that because they're all working off of the same concept you know so you have power on one end being regulated on another it's there's only a certain amount of ways that you can perform that function they're put together a little differently but you can kind of now i can pull something apart and kind of go okay that goes here that's going to go here i do still have to reference the internet depending on what it is but for the most part i'm i'm getting pretty good at At seeing how this stuff is supposed to go now.
2: Do you find a certain type of watch easier to work with? Because you said there was uh, quartz and spring powered. Do you find one easier to work with than the other?
1: Well, the quartz ones, I really if if I if putting a battery doesn't fix it, I can't do anything with it because I don't. You know, there are ways to work on and fix them, but for the most part, quartz movements are are so cheap. It's if a battery doesn't do it, I'll get another one online for fourteen dollars and just put a new movement. And Mm -hmm. I'm not about to try to figure out where is like a broken piece of solder
2: so is that the type of watch you prefer to work on
1: no i like to work on the mechanical one yeah yeah I, I prefer to at least just because I, I find it more enjoyable
0: what do you like about collecting and building watches
1: i don't know that's on that's a that's a tough question to answer no, i just fine. um i like working on them more i think and building them more like i just got a new set of screwdrivers and i'm like i don't have a watch to fix i need to i need something to work on i don't it's kind of just very meditative for me to just sit there like in my quiet office and focus on something like I can really really shut everything off because I have to be as steady with my hands as I can possibly be Mm -hmm. and like the collecting aspect of it I mean I'm I'm building a little collection here just stuff that I like I guess it's the same as people who like to collect art or old cameras
0: yeah it's just neat I like it now do you find with that kind of having to be still and steady with your hands are you very in the moment when you're working on a watch do, do you kind of like lose track of everything else and you're just focused on what you're doing right there
1: oh yeah my wife makes she makes fun of me because i always tell her like i don't think i really have much of an inner monologue but I always have music on or a podcast or some type of thing playing in the background but when mm-hmm. i'm working on watches it's silence like i don't need it i can't have it i have to kind of focus
2: are you thinking about anything or is it just like clear brain meditative? Um,
1: ye, not really. It's kind of, I'm just I'm focused on whatever my task that I'm doing at the time with it is. Sometimes more than, uh, more so than, than others, depending on what I'm doing. Like if I have something expensive that I'm working on, it's a little more like really, you know, kind of zoned into it. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, if it's something I'm not as worried about, or if it's one of my own watches, I'm not putting as much into it. I probably should but mm-hmm. it's uh i guess it kind of comes and goes
0: depending on what i'm doing and speaking of your own watches do you have a particular favorite in your collection
1: yes and no i like i, I like them all for different reasons you mm-hmm. know but if there's like a favorite that i have it's probably this one this is a 1981 rolex date just oh one six oh one five. 16015 and it was my mm, wife's father's who had passed away oh wow he left it to her brother mm-hmm. and Dan, you know, my brother-in-law, he's not really into watches, doesn't really, you know, care for him or anything like that. So when Sue and I got married, he gave it to me as a wedding present.
0: That's really nice. Yeah. And that's I, I think that's something that sometimes gets forgotten is watches are traditionally an heirloom item.
1: Yep. Yeah. And it's it's it also means a lot, too, because uh, I guess when her dad when her dad bought this in the 80s, he bought it as a his and her set. So Sue has the matching one that was her mom's, who has also passed away. Mm -hmm. So the watches stayed together with a married couple.
0: Oh, that's really neat. What are some of your other favorites?
1: It can't be my favorite that much if I left it at home. Mm -hmm. I've got a, uh, (laughs) it's an Italian company called Panerai, and the watch is called the Black Seal. It's, the Black Seal was named after the Italian frogmen from World War II, Mm -hmm. and Panerai was supplying that watch to them after they had Kind of flipped to the allies a little bit there. And I just, I just think that's a really cool like watch. The history behind it is incredibly deep because the design from it was uh, actually taken from an old Rolex pocket watch because Rolex was building this watch for Panerai in the 30s. Mm-hmm. And there's, there's pictures you can find where, um, you know, pocket watch has the crown up at 12 o'clock where you wind it. And it's clearly a pocket watch. Turn it 90 degrees weld two little wire lugs on it and attach a strap to it and then write Panerai on it and that's where the watch came from it was essentially a Rolex that they just turned 90 degrees and stuck a strap on <laughs> hmm.
2: it, is that usually the biggest difference between a wristwatch and a pocket watch
1: for the most part yeah yeah it's well when you get into uh, older pocket watches at least they're designed a little bit differently um like where more so in uh, shock resistance, mm-hmm. because pocket watches are usually stationary; they sit up right in your pocket, and that's it. Wrist watches, you you know, you'll pound a table or smack it on a on a wall or something like that. Um, so where that escapement actually is, it's called an Inca block. It pivots on a jewel. That's what the bearing is that everything spins on. Mm-hmm. Um, the Inca block ones will have like a small. Uh, usually, it's it can be tin, it can be gold, but it's just a thin piece of metal that actually serves as something that, to be kind of like a shock absorber. So, you know, that way you're, you know, you bang something, it doesn't jar everything apart, and now the watch stops running.
0: Well, that's, I, I was interested to read that wristwatches weren't really much of a thing for men until they were needed for military purposes. Yep. You know, a, aviators yep. needed them. And early on in the war, uh, a lot of pilots actually ended up with women's wristwatches mm-hmm. because it, that's what was mm-hmm. available.
1: Yeah, it started as a fashion accessory. Men stuck with pocket watches for a long time.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, but I I just find the the history of everyday items like that really fascinating. Mm
1: -hmm. Yeah, it kind of came out of that. That's another reason, I guess, why I like more of the utilitarian watches, I guess, because, you know, they were made to serve a purpose at one point. I know they're kind of pointless. Now we've got a cell phone or whatever, but it's just it's not the same. If I ever leave the house on a rare occasion when I forget a watch, it's like I have to go home because I'm it just doesn't (laughs) I feel, Mm -hmm. you know, naked
0: can you kind of walk us through uh i'd say from from this side to that of the watches that you brought with you today yeah if you want
1: yeah uh this is this is a phoebus this is a micro brand out of i think they're from taiwan so micro brands are actually really interesting that's kind of something that i'm starting to really enjoy finding which it's it's exactly what it sounds like it's just a small up-and-coming watch company that are a lot of them are doing some really, really great things. I have a harder time with some of these things ever justifying spending a ton of money on a watch because of the value that these things are all of a sudden putting out there. Right. Um. It's hefty. I know. It's, yeah. So that is, uh, it's the Phoebus Proteus. It's obviously, you know, made for going in the water, mm-hmm. but that thing, you can find this for like $400. It's, They're sourcing all their movements from Seiko. So the movement in that is the Seiko NH35. It'll run forever and be perfectly accurate. You could probably go 10 years before you have to service the thing. Mm -hmm. That being said, this is one of my other favorites. This thing I bought when I was young, stupid, and didn't know what credit card debt was. (laughs) Um, This is a Rolex Submariner. They're both... If you hold them side by side, they're both waterproof to... 300 meters, they're, I think. This one, yeah, the, the Phoebus is a little less. This is 300 meters. The Submariner is, I think, a thousand. Oh, wow. But I mean, really, nobody's going underwater that <laughs> deep. And if they are using a dive computer,
2: you got other problems. Yeah.
1: Yeah. But <laughs> holding those two side by side, I mean, they're both automatic watches. They're both water resistant. They're, they're You can beat the hell out of both of them. I have a hard time telling anyone other than the name recognition that that carries why it's worth 10 times what this is mm-hmm. it's it's getting very difficult with what a lot of these companies are doing
2: you said it's a Phoebos?
1: yeah Phoebos?
2: i like their design a lot yeah, really I like, cool. yeah i
1: like yeah like their kraken their design kraken. looks really cool they put that mm-hmm. on all of theirs now yeah. um and they just they're, they're the the value for money that some of these micro brands are coming out with is insane to me this one actually the one that i'm wearing right now is is another one this is uh zelos this is a zelos uh, Horizons GMT, so it's got four hands on it, the GMT function is from wartime, so it's a Greenwich Mean Time, uh, you could set it to two different time zones, that's got an exhibition case back, yeah, that's beautiful, um, that is a legit Swiss movement, it's an ETA 2893, that's, I don't know, eight, nine hundred dollars, and I mean, I don't understand how, for what they give you for that, I mean, it's got stuff that much higher luxury brands don't even have, it's got a really good sapphire crystal it's got a sapphire bezel insert nobody's doing sapphire bezel inserts right now
2: that second hand is so smooth
1: that's yeah that's, that's gorgeous that's what i mean when i was talking about uh beat rate and things that don't tick as fast yeah like look at that one it's too
2: bad you guys can't see this because
0: it's the difference between like yeah, 30... I, I was gonna say i'm gonna have to to get some little short videos, little videos. that uh, mm-hmm. I, I can attach to yeah. the podcast file yeah
1: that's that's what i was getting at with the when we were when i brought up the beat rate of the watch Mm -hmm. If you actually look at these two side by side and look at the second hand sweep of this one, and that one.
2: It's basically the difference between like a thirty hertz uh, screen and like a sixty or two forty hertz screen. So there's it's just um, smooth.
1: I don't remember I remember the the movement rates in beats per hour. I don't remember what they translate to in Hertz, but they do. And I and I can't remember offhand what it is.
0: Going back to the Submariner for Mm -hmm. a minute, this says Oyster Perpetual date. Can mm-hmm. you explain what that is?
1: Oyster Perpetual is what Rolex started naming all of their waterproof watches. The mm-hmm. very first one, they called it the Rolex Oyster. Once again, maybe you can help me now. The first woman to swim across the English Channel. She wore a Rolex. They, they built that watch for mm-hmm. her to do that because mm-hmm. they like doing stuff like that. The founder of Rolex, named Hans Wilsdorf, founded the company in 1908 in London. He was a German immigrant and just started building watches. and he famously it said that, uh, I'm paraphrasing it, but it was to the tune of uh, any product is a great product if you're good at marketing it. It's kind of funny because he was making great products at the time, but his idea of of being able to know how to market and build your brand, I feel is what drives a lot of the value still. Because even people who don't know watches, everyone knows what a Rolex is. Oh, yeah.
3: Yeah.
2: There's a strong... Submariner theme amongst watches, like they're all toting how deep they can be mm-hmm. submerged. Is there like a go-to aviator watch? Because I know watches started out that aviators needed to to tell time really reliably.
1: Yep there's a there's a company called IWC. They're a German uh, German watch manufacturer, and they they're like the they're big into doing aviator watches. They've got mm-hmm. a couple watches that are called like it's like their pilot series. There's the big crown pilot. There's a couple other ones that I, the name escaped me, but The style is a lot different. Obviously they focus more on, they'll be the same size as this watch. This, this outer ring here, the bezel, they don't have it. They don't need it. So what you get on the aviator watch is a much larger dial with just big, giant numbers. You can glance at the watch real quick and get your time and that's kind of it. It was the same with watches for railroad conductors because trains back in the day, before you had any kind of computers telling you where a train is it was all based on time. You had to have a very accurate watch so you didn't. You weren't on the tracks that you weren't supposed to be on at X time and run to another train. Oh, yeah, that's the other very way. important. That could be a problem, yeah. Yes, yes. Omega actually used to build them. They had Omega Railmaster was their watch that they designed for the rail industry in England.
0: One of the things you and I had discussed prior to this conversation was that people have to be careful with the World War II era glow-in-the-dark watches with the radium dials yes, because they they're do. still radioactive. Oh, yep.
1: Oh, they, they absolutely are my that's when uh, you touched on pocket watches earlier, like a lot of the old vintage ones that are that you can find now, if you're going to display them, display them in a leaded crystal case, and don't handle them that often, because they Yeah, they are dangerous to still be around like that stuff's Still there. You can usually tell too, because of how it um, the patina that it says develop it, it, the paint has bubbled up and starting to turn yellow. And that's usually a good indication that you shouldn't be touching it boy (laughs) it's a pretty good idea not to touch that yeah yeah
0: let's uh continue on on our watch tour here
1: this actually this is one of my favorites this is a seiko skx that i modified so all the the bezel around here this rose gold bezel here Mm -hmm. the brown or the brown bezel insert the hands the chapter ring which is that gold dish shaped ring on the inside and the crown um i i bought and just Put it together change the look of it a little bit that's uh the aftermarket for that watch is massive mm.
2: let's like, uh let, let's explore that a little bit like what does modding a watch mean what's the market look like for that
1: it's getting big yeah yeah it's getting very big especially with that with with a lot of other brands it's not as much i don't know why it took off the way that it did for that particular model mm-hmm. and seiko in general people started building random aftermarket parts for them and it's you think of a design you want to build for one of these like that's the platform i would do with. okay um there's actually a company in uh, long island the long island watch company they're just a go online to watch store they have their own brand called islander watches they're all seiko skx's that they just modify and put their logo on mm-hmm. it's not knocking them because they have some really creative things that they're doing with them mm-hmm. you know but that's that's essentially all there and they build a brand off of it
2: is modding usually a cosmetic thing, or is there like under the hood enhancements you can do?
1: Um, there are. not. There's not much that you're going to gain. Um, like with this one here, uh, the, uh, the movement that Seiko puts in these uh, is the 7SR6, I believe, is the movement. Mm-hmm. A big mod is to put the Seiko NH35, which is what's in this one in here. Just because there's a couple more functions that this has that this doesn't. Like NH35, you can pull the crown out and wind it yourself. Mm-hmm. This old Seiko movement, you can't. It's also got what's called a hacking seconds hand. So when you pull the crown out, the second hand will stop. Uh, this one doesn't do that. To me, it's not worth it to, you know, to swap a movement out because this runs just fine.
2: Mm-hmm. How how interchangeable are the parts amongst these different watches?
1: Almost not at all. Mm-hmm. The movements you can you can work out if you if you have the same size movement, the base plates the same thickness and everything. Like you can swap a movement out. But taking one part off of another is usually never going to work mm-hmm. because they all do it a little bit differently, even within their own brand. Between these two being Seiko's, there's noth- almost nothing identical other than maybe the hardware like the screws you could probably reuse.
2: Mm-hmm. Do you find that being a challenge in being someone that repairs watches?
1: It can be because parts are incredibly tough to find sometimes for some watches. Like I cannot work on Rolexes for people. Mm. You can't buy parts. They, oh. that is That is so... They control every single aspect of their product to such a T that you can't, you can't find parts. Mm-hmm. Uh, the only people who can order them are people who are authorized Rolex service centers. If Rolex catches you reselling that stuff, they will take you to court. Okay. Oh, wow. like they, they do not want this stuff out there because mm-hmm. counterfeits they're getting pretty good. It's not like that cheap thing I bought at the flea market. I mean, there's one of the guys I work with bought a fake GMT. I was sitting across from a table from you just looking at it it'd fool me I'd mm-hmm. have to hold this thing and really look at it getting close so it's be anyone listening if you're buying one do not buy online just <laughs> buy from a proper seller don't buy from some guy on a forum or something like that. face value isn't enough at this point that
2: being said what does the modding market look like
1: in terms of like value or anything like where would people or, go
2: to like find a modded watch or get a watch modded
1: there's a couple different brands right now well, I couldn't call them a brand, but companies that you can buy tons and tons of parts for these things right now. Like mm-hmm. One second closer. I bought everything from them. DL watches is one. Uh, they're in Asia, Southeast Asia area, but you can send them your Seiko five. You have to provide your own watch mm-hmm. tell them what you want and they'll mm-hmm. perform whatever modifications that you're looking for. It Like I said, it'll mostly be cosmetic, but they'll they'll do it all. And I've seen some really, really cool stuff. Some custom painted dials on these have looked really, really neat. It's like the sky is a literal limit with this.
2: Is it like an up and coming market or pretty
1: established? <clears throat> it's been pretty established, but now that I've started paying attention to it a little bit, I'm kind of like, man, this is like, I want to build an SKX again, like a couple more. The downside is Seiko discontinued the model. Mm-hmm. So once again, now what like an SKX used to be about 450 ish and change new depending on where you buy it from. And they're they're going up again mm-hmm. especially if you find like a new old stock one on ebay you know you'll look at it and the bids are through the roof already and it's 900 dollars because you want to buy them out of
0: yeah i i think it's interesting how you get these little hidden worlds mm-hmm. of people who are very enthusiastic or you know into watches or into fashion or or, or style and you can much dive as deeply as you want to because there's more and more to learn the further you go in.
1: Yeah. It just keeps the, the further I went into that as far as the modding community goes, it's like now I'm on like four different Facebook groups, mm-hmm. uh two forums and these are just dedicated strictly to modding one type of watch. hmm You know? But it's it's really neat. Like guys are getting really, really creative with a lot of the stuff they do with them.
2: Yeah. Before just now I didn't even know that was a, a thing. <laughs> yeah, it's it it's cool. Like it's, it's cool like
1: putting like just buying stuff and kind of thinking like how do i want this to look and you know that'll look cool and that'll look cool and i'm just like using photoshop and like just lazily
0: yeah. overlapping images trying to see what's so, going to look so you'll, right and everything. you'll actually mock it up first so that you can decide i did for this because
1: i wasn't sure how it was going to turn out mm-hmm. but i'm i'm happy with it nice
2: i'm looking at the watch on my wrist and being like hey brian uh what can you do with this <laughs> It's a a psycho. (laughs) Hey everyone, I'm Bob. And I'm Al. And we're from a podcast called Geeks United with Al and Bob. And of course, we cover all of the nerdiest things in life. Movies, TV shows, comics, books, all that kind of good stuff.
0: You know, everything Disney has bought in the last decade or so.
2: (laughs) Yes, exactly. But we also have lots of special series out. Every October we do sort of a paranormal month. We did the, fright- the 50 most frightening things, one in each state. So we do a lot of stuff. So listen and subscribe to us in all your favorite places. Spotify, Apple, Google, SoundCloud, everywhere you listen to your
0: podcasts. However you want to end it. Uh, hell, that was that was just the script I sent over. Oh. I want to hear again what you just said about the Rolex that you put on.
2: <laughs> I'll never get to do it again in my life. I'll never afford a Rolex. So it felt
0: good to put it on my wrist. Feels nice. Feels nice. Let's get back into your collection.
1: Yeah, this is the oldest watch that I have. This is a uh, a Boucheret. I like that one. Um, yeah, this is from 1951 or so, I think. <laughs> I can only kind of date it. So it's been serviced a couple of times. Usually, and it's an old watchmaker thing, um, when you take the case back off, service a movement, you will engrave your initials and the date that you worked on. it. The next guy who works on it knows when this watch was serviced. Oh, cool. And there are a bunch of them on the back of this watch. And the earliest one I found was 1953. And it used to be like two to three years somebody would want to service it. So I'm Mm -hmm. kind of splitting the difference and just saying, I think this is probably from 51. It could be older. I'm not sure um but yeah it's kind of an interesting company it's uh Bouchere is oops um they're kind of like the Tiffany's of mm. England or Europe like yeah. a giant jewelry store and Carl F Bucher or Bouchere was the founder of that company and for a time they had a deal with Rolex um where Rolex was building watches for that company for bucheret yeah. um Bouchere separated at some point and went along you know their own way, of building their own watches. they're still being built today, but it's under the name of Carl F. Bucheret, which is the founder. Mm. It's just his full name now. I think the Swatch group owns them. They're definitely owned by a conglomerate now, but I can't remember which one it is. but that one's just really neat because it's so friggin old
0: well and, and Nick is as, as you had noted, there's a nice <clears throat> like patina on the face, yeah, you can tell that mm-hmm. this is a vintage piece, but it still looks beautiful uh under the glass as well mm-hmm. Yeah, it's um,
1: held. It's held up pretty well. If you if you
2: can imagine um, the movie Kingsman, this w- this will be the watch
0: they would be wearing, <laughs> <laughs> I, I, especially with the crown logo. Uh, yep, mm-hmm. right right yep. at twelve o'clock there. Yeah, yeah. Now that one's very cool.
2: There's a weird beauty in that someone that services a watch will add their initials and date mm-hmm. inside a timepiece itself. Yes so adding like more time to the timepiece which is very interesting it's
1: a beautiful watch yeah it is very cool that's actually it's one that i like i i should wear more but i
0: don't for some reason well and that's more of a dress watch it's it's oh absolutely yeah
1: and it's 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 small too i Mm -hmm. I think it's some of the size of these things that people have now and
2: can you expound upon like the mechanics inside that watch? Have you, have you gone into that watch at all? I
1: opened it up just to look at it. I never yeah. actually really worked on this thing. Um, there's a local watch guy who is he's awesome. His name is Bob Hoffman. He owns Buffalo Watch and Clock out in, uh, in Hamburg. Mm-hmm. Um, and he is, he's bailed me out with some Rolex stuff before. Um, mm-hmm. He helped me out with uh, this Bulova Accutron that we can get to in a second. I took this to him because I was kind of like I don't, I opened it up and it's kind of like, you can usually tell like who made the movement, at least just because of how it's put together. I'm like, I don't know what this is. I, I don't know who made it. I don't know if this is an in-house one that they made. I don't know if this is like a later model that Rolex had their hand in. So I just took it to him, and was like, yeah, please work on this. Just, you know, give a quick service for me.
0: Well, and I love that as something that's, you know, more than half a century old, mm-hmm. that works well. It, maintains all of its functionality and mm-hmm. all of its style. Yeah, it, keeps,
1: and it, it it keeps great time, it's accurate. As long as it's like, you know, wound up, mm-hmm. it's, it it runs fine. This one I built for my wife. There's a supplier that I buy through that I have an account with and I bought a bunch of parts and bought a movement from Miyota to put in there and just kind of
0: I I like the uh, exhibition
1: case there. Yes. Mm-hmm. I went through and just we her and i looked at different stuff i showed her different types of watches and everything of like what do you want and i just kind of came up with that
2: uh when you you say built it is it the same idea as like building a computer you get all the components and yep put it together yep
1: i did it's like the movement i'm not i am not on the level that i am would ever call myself like a watchmaker because i can't make a movement from Mm -hmm. scratch i don't Mm -hmm. So you built it? You didn't make it. <laughs> beyond me. I, I took assembled. It. I took a bunch of individual parts and put them together. Yeah, and I can I can I can work on that movement. You're not but forging
2: I, your own metal, and no, no,
1: I don't have a no. My forge is broken. I'm not good at uh, smelting metal.
2: Can you explain the exhibition case? Mm-hmm. I see. There's there's a piece in the back here that's very prominent. That is like a counter counterbalance. Mm-hmm. Like it's
1: yep. it's always falling down. down. That's called a rotor. So that's an automatic watch.
2: It charges it'll, or... So that, as you wear you the watch,
1: that will always follow gravity. And that is actually winding the mainspring of the watch and keeping it wound. So you don't have to worry about winding it every other day. If, as long as you wear it, it'll stay wound.
2: Is that like a
1: standard in watches now? For the most part, it is. Most of them are. I don't think I have any here that... Does that aren't. replace a battery? What's that? Does that replace the
2: battery or in, in conjunction with the battery?
1: Well there's no battery in that That's crazy That's 100% mechanical So the watch winds itself as you wear it And it's just working off of pure kinetic energy
2: That's awesome Lucky girl <laughs>
3: <laughs>
1: I can build you one Paint the dial Alright all right. Yeah. Paint the dial This thing is an old uh, Broken uh, Omega Speedmaster So this is the moon watch Mm-hmm. They like to brag about it. So they were like stamping stuff on the back. But so, yeah, this was uh, on Apollo 11. This is what Omega and Belova were both in a race with to see who was going to get their watch worn on the moon first. And NASA decided to go with Omega. Do you know any of the history of that?
2: Like um, zero gravity must impact a watch somehow.
1: Yes, that was part of uh, the deal with that. So Omega used. Ah, uh, the case is slightly pressurized. Okay. The crystal is made out of hesellite. Um, what does of, that mean? In, it's just a different mineral than sapphire. Um, it's a little more, I guess, dirty, if you want to call it that. And in all of their flight testing and pressure testing, it outperformed uh, the competition. There, Rolex had a little bit of a little bit of interest in it, but then kind of bowed out of the race. There, it ended up being omega swiss company and then Bolova, uh the american manufacturer and they ended up going with uh omega instead um i don't so the the watch that Bulova made their moon watch uh, was called the lunar pilot mm-hmm. it looked very similar to that one and I, I his name escaped me it was a later apollo mission it wasn't uh it wasn't the first one i think it was apollo 14 uh, the one that went to the moon after like Apollo 13 happened. Right. Um, I can't remember the name of the astronaut, but he liked the Bolova lunar pilot model a mm-hmm. lot. So he didn't tell anyone he brought it with him. <laughs> and he had, it packed uh... in his, he had it packed in his luggage. He goes out into space wearing his Omega Speedmaster and the crystal popped off. Oh, no. So he went, oh, took it off, went back, got his lunar pilot, put that on and wore that on the moon. Oh, that's so Bolova made it to the moon after all, I guess <laughs> yeah
2: there's uh there, there's markings on the outside of the watch., mm-hmm. uh, I can't make any sense of them. The, it's some sort of gauge the between... yeah,
1: so that's for measuring is... speed how it's very difficult okay, so what this so this watch is other than being just like, oh watch, watch, it's also a chronograph a stopwatch okay. that's why I said it's broken. Because this hand that is like which is the second hand that keeps moving right now, Mm -hmm. that's actually the the chronograph function. Uh, I broke the the pusher is broken on this. It was like that when I got it. Mm -hmm. Um, so I can't turn the stopwatch off. But anyway, basically what you would do is if you know where the starting point is Mm -hmm. and where a mile is, you can time how fast it's going. So this would normally be up here at the very top. Hit start. Once it crosses a mile, hit stop. And that'll give you. The speed that it was traveling oh so if you're going 60 miles an hour and it takes you a minute that's mm-hmm. why 60 is up at the very top here 600 miles an hour is at the six second mark that's basically all this is is is, is to gauge speed very interesting
0: let's get to the final watch that you brought tonight yes yeah, so this is the
1: only one that i want people here mm-hmm. um so this is a beloved accutron from the 60s so, in the 60s and 70s is when the quartz watch revolution was really starting, when people were starting to put batteries in watches. Um, Seiko hedged their bets with quartz movement. Belova went the other way and developed a tuning fork movement. That's why their symbol is still a tuning fork. So, it's got a battery in it, just like any other like, quartz movement would have. There's a literal tuning fork inside of it, wound up with very, very tight copper windings. So, all the current runs through that makes the tuning fork vibrate and it takes those vibrations are the same as the oscillations from fourth crystal or what you're getting in the beat rate from a mechanical watch and that's where you get time from. Uh where they differ is uh they hum instead of tick.
0: This is a watch that looks different from everything else that you have here tonight. Give us a, a visual description it, of it.
1: It's as sixties art deco as you could possibly imagine um it's very small it's all gold and it was a men's watch to my surprise after i had to do some research and find out something about this model
0: yeah i was gonna say it has a a narrower band it's Mm -hmm. it's a a little oblong um
1: yeah it's kind of of yeah it's kind of oval shaped um they put the crown at four o'clock just because it was different at the time um the the dial itself is incredibly small like, where you actually read the time. uh, The bulk of the watch is taken up by this big gold case that's kind of like... uh, I don't even know what I would call the pattern. Leafed, I think, is what it is. But it's it's just... It's very odd. I've never worn it once. It's more of a... Just kind of cool thing to have. because it, it's, it's a collector's it's, piece. It's, it's part of watch history, you know? And, like, Bolova's recently started to bring back the Accutron name. Mm-hmm. It's not the same movement anymore. They're going... A little more of a different direction, I guess. Now, like that, uh, are that, are they
0: still using that tuning fork? Then,
1: no. And I really wish they'd bring it back. Uh, I, I really think they should. I, then I, I would really like to buy one if they did because it, it's cool. Um, well,
0: and that's it's an interesting noise. It, mm-hmm. you know, you hold the watch up to your ear and you expect it ticking, and this is at a higher pitch.
1: Yeah.
2: pump.
3: Uh, yeah. yeah.
1: Yeah. So one of, uh, one of the most accurate watch movements in the world or watches in the world, um, is that full of a space view that they just recently re-released they're calling it an Accutron movement it's Mm -hmm. not um it's just a it's a it's a heavily modified uh quartz movement but they've somehow got this quartz crystal operating at an incredibly high frequency and it's accurate i think to within three seconds a year oh wow it's it's really really cool
2: it's better than a calendar
3: yeah
1: (laughs) yeah yeah
2: why why do you think uh quartz run quartz won out over uh turning fork
1: um Simplicity, yeah, is basically all it is because it's there's there's nothing to them on the inside of the quartz watches. You know, it's the tiny little computer chip, a couple capacitors, Mm -hmm. and that's it.
2: Have you opened that one up?
1: Oh yeah, it looks bizarre. Like I, it's and it's and it's also kind of a little bit of a mix of mechanical, of like a mechanical watch in there as well. Because if you have if if you've ever seen, I wish this was one of them. This one only has a second hand and an hour hand, or I'm sorry, minute hand, an hour hand. Mm-hmm. No second hand on this. The Accutron's that do have a second hand, the sweep is perfectly steady. Like it's even cleaner than like this one, or you know what I mean. It's it's just because the the frequency that it's oscillating at is so high. The sweep of the second hand is, I mean, perfectly smooth.
0: Yeah. So we we've talked about some of the watches that you have. What's the watch that you wish you? Were? Ooh, the coveted watch.
1: The coveted watch. Um,
0: or or, or even just wish that you. Got to wear one late 70s or early
1: 80s Rolex GMT root beer model.
0: What sets that apart?
1: Um, I've always liked them. The GM, the GMT model is, um, you know, it looks similar to, to a Submariner. Um, it's what offsets it is that it's got a fourth hand for a second time zone, but the GMTs came in a bunch of different color schemes. So there was just an all black one where it, the coloring is mostly in the bezel. The, the ring around uh around the dial there's the black one one called the pepsi pepsi had a two-tone uh bezel which was blue and red the coke model which was black and red <laughs> there was the batman which was blue and black the root beer was a two-tone stainless steel and gold model so that ran through the through the bracelet uh the bezel was brown and gold uh the dial itself Ah, uh, was copper or at least they are all fading to copper now. The the older models are. Mm-hmm. And I just I think they're one of the greatest looking things that the company's ever made. And recently they've gotten like a resurgence because Rolex re released the root beer model in the current market and the current lineup they have. And because of that prices have
0: gone through the roof
1: for the older ones. Like I mean like sixty, seventy thousand dollars. It's untouchable at this point.
0: So for, from what you've described, it sounds like when you like a watch it's both the mechanics of it the the function but and also the design style mm-hmm. that really yep. tracks you. that
1: through. that's one of the few that it's like the, the style of it is really like oh i'd need that and i don't even like gold
2: <laughs> <laughs> do you have a watch that you would um that you want to dive into as a um, tinkerer
1: as a tinkerer yeah just like
2: um, Breaking the back open and saying, "Ooh, let's, let's get in there and see what, see what's, what, what's happening.
1: Do I have to put it back together so it works?
2: <laughs> That's two questions, yeah. One you have to, the other is like, eh, let's take it apart.
1: If there's one that I have to put it back together so it works, that one's tough because all the ones on my list are ones that I would be terrified to work on. Gotcha. A yeah. Seiko, a Grand Seiko, Seiko, to clarify that, so Seiko is its own company. They launched a luxury line called Grand Seiko and built one of the most innovative watch movements in the world that is a combination of kinetic energy and then also electronic regulation. It's incredible. It's called the spring drive movement. It's a mainspring, so same thing that all these mechanical watches share. That power from the mainspring, though, um, drive what's called a glide wheel. So instead of an escapement that shakes back and forth, one wheel is now powered and just spins. Hmm. That spinning wheel is hooked up to what they call a tri sink or regulator.
2: All right, Doctor Who. Yeah, exactly. I know.
1: <laughs> <laughs> so, but anyway, so through this regulator, though, the regulator will either will use electromagnetism to slow down that glide wheel that is constantly spinning. And that's where timekeeping comes from. These oh. things are incredibly cool. Like the like resistance. It, it is, yeah, it is literally a combination of. Of the accuracy of a quartz watch but with all the the hallmarks and things that people like people like me of a mechanical movement because it is 100 it's you're now electronically regulating kinetic energy from a spring but doing it without a battery and you'll never need one because the watch winds itself as you wear it
2: and is that one that you probably couldn't put back together
1: i don't think i could but i would like to try to take it apart yeah you know there are some like uh, some chronograph movements, like stopwatches, that I would like to tinker with and just look inside, yeah, you know, and and see. Um, there's some companies are like there's there are watches that have alarms, mechanical watches, mm-hmm. and there's there are literal like nice stiff pieces of metal that run along and wrap all the way around the inside of the case back, and there are hammers that are triggered by these mechanical watches to sound alarms. Um, huh. like oh, the complications and what these things have are insane um there's a company called patek philippe they're part of what would be considered the holy trinity of of watches patek philippe uh audemars Piguet, and vacheron Constantine. um and these are like for it's essentially like the hyper rich are the only people who own these things but you're also talking about a watch that one person puts together over the course of a year hmm. so uh patek has a watch called the sky moon tourbillon it's a dress watch. It's pretty big. It's two-faced. you could flip it and wear it either way you want. Uh, one dial has what's called a perpetual calendar. Okay. So a perpetual calendar shows time, day, date, month, and year. This watch, when set correctly, as long as you don't let it die, it, it knows the difference. A 30-day month, it will skip to one. So, you don't have to set it to change that. Um They will also, as long as you keep them wound for, I think this one is six years, it'll account for a leap year.
0: And this is I, all I, being done through gears and springs. There's no computer in this. I, I was just thinking that February must just be the bane of watchers. Yeah. It sucks. Yeah. I hate, <laughs> I, you know,
1: I have a lot of
0: watches. I got every month a 30-day month or
1: February comes around. I got to go in the thing and skip a day on all these things. But that watch will account for all of this stuff. And it will do so literally in perpetuity as long as you keep it wound up. Somehow. I don't know how that works. On the backside of the watch, you have, you tell Patek if they let you buy one, which they won't. You tell them where you live. Because on the backside is the night sky. And they hand paint an enamel what? dial with stars on it. On the top section of the watch, there's a little oval. And that is the night sky that is visible to you. So as the, the watch will just run, that entire dial underneath the hands spins. So the night sky is accurate to where you are in the world so I have to tell them where you live first. Because they'll paint it to where you live. My
2: mouth is agape. That's yes. crazy. It's also... <laughs> Thank you for the
1: audio description. <laughs> I appreciate that. It's, <laughs> this is also something that you're talking about wow. that was in the neighborhood of 1.3 million dollars holy cow oh yeah it's, it's like when i say this is outrageous but those are the companies that are they were there's some of the oldest companies around that have the oldest watchmakers around yeah uh, vacheron is another one vacheron made a pocket watch called the grand compilation that had think of a function that your smartphone could almost perform and like this watch almost like does have it. there were over like a complication in a watch is like a date that the day would or it would be one complication. Mm-hmm. If it tells you the date and the day like you know Saturday the 14th like yours mm-hmm. that would be two complications. Vacheron made a watch called the grand complication that had over a 100 it had separate alarms you could set it would keep track of moon phase it, it, it's outrageous what they were able to, to pull off with tiny little gears
2: is that a, a purely cosmetic thing like a like a a show off <clears throat> piece is there functionality just, to it
1: well there's functionality because it, it does all of those things but you know let's be honest whoever bought that put it in a display case somewhere
0: and they're bragging about it to their friends and that's kind of it. one of those mm-hmm. rotating display cases that keeps the self-winding watch wound i have one <laughs> no i mean one of like this is oh, this is a
1: pocket watch actually. oh really oh yeah it was yeah the grand complication was a pocket watch and it's it's huge So this is like somebody's prize piece they're just gonna put on their mantle and brag about because they were able to get one wow
0: on the other end of the spectrum i know there's been uh growth in recent years of small or or even kind of micro watchmakers where they're doing mechanical movements Mm -hmm. but they're, they're kind of trying to do the direct to consumer uh shortcut uh so they're they're saying oh you know you can get you can get a fashionable watch at a lower (laughs) price uh tell me what what your thoughts are on that
1: it's all junk
0: i love that you asked
1: me that (laughs) buffalo the industrial powerhouse
2: of the early 20th century the grain elevators now stand silent on the shores of the great lakes casting their shadow on the city of light a city known for blizzards chicken wings and super bowl losses where even the natural magnificence of Niagara Falls can't help but magnify the rusted out shell of a once great city. Not anymore. Buffalo is a city on the rise again. New industry, green spaces, waterfront development, and the revival of Buffalo's proud brewing past are building the new Buffalo. With over 25 local breweries open in the last decade, Buffalo has an amazing brewing community. Join me as I talk to local brewers about making great beer. Sometimes we talk about the 716, and sometimes we talk shop to help you brew better. Find us at WNY.Beer or on Twitter, YouTube, and Facebook at WNYBrews.
0: If someone were interested in getting into the world of watch collecting or 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 even you know, watch repair, where would you direct them?
1: I wouldn't necessarily call the micro brands like we talked about earlier though, and I have a couple from some that are tremendous. They're great okay. because they're actually sitting there building watches. They're 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 putting stuff together and they're they're kind of putting their you know, their hands to the grindstone and, and doing something that's worthwhile Mm -hmm. the ones that are always talking about bringing affordable luxury to you and cut out the middleman and all this other stuff like i would avoid those at all costs if they're on kickstarter don't buy from them (laughs) that's
0: all Uh, i have to say i'm i I, i'll I'll say let's uh let's focus on the positive who who are some of the the people who you are interested in
1: Phoebus, this one that I've got here. And I'm not mm-hmm. just saying it because I own them, because I have I know somebody else, uh, another friend of mine who's into watches, he has uh, two other models from Phoebus that he's got. And I mean, the, the things are awesome. Uh, Zelos, I would tell anyone in the world to buy a Zelos. Zelos is, um, they're out of um, Singapore, the owner uh, and founder of Zelos, is named Elshan Tang. I'm very sorry if I'm pronouncing your first name wrong. Um, but he's very... Uh, active in the community of people who buy his watches there's a there's a facebook group called zealous timekeepers mm-hmm. and he's a member of it and he's on there all the time asking for feedback and like, what do people like what do people want they've got a new watch called the starfighter coming out soon which is kind of a homage to the speedmaster and i'm on the pre buy list right now like nice. it looks amazing i'm very very excited for what he's got going on with it and I understand that like Christopher Ward is a big up and comer right now out of London and the stuff they're pulling off, it comes back to you know, it's hard to
3: justify
1: spending four thousand dollars on a watch, which there's a ton of them out there that are that much when a Christopher Ward like that they're putting together is seven, eight hundred bucks. And it's like it's it's awesome. It's great value for money. It's actually being built like You know, by people who are getting paid, which is another argument that you could put forth.
2: Always important. Yeah. Well,
1: I mean, it's, you know, it's the fact of the matter like half of these watches that are all outsourced from China. I mean, it's slave labor for the most part, unfortunately. You know, when you buy something expensive or a little more expensive, even if it's, you know, a zealous or something like that, it's like these are actual people who are getting paid in Switzerland who are building watch parts for this company. So that's something to take into consideration, I suppose.
0: Well, and and I, I think that's neat because not only are you supporting fair labor practices then, but also you're supporting the tradition of watchmaking and mechanical watchmaking. Yeah, which,
1: which is, unfortunately, really dying off right now. But um, so I guess you could make the argument that it's uh, conspicuous consumption, you know, but... On the flip side, like, is it? Because pretty much everything I have on the table here will run forever. Mm-hmm. You know, it's been built really well by people who know what they're doing. Um, so I'd rather do that than buy, you know, a a, a cheap vincero for a hundred dollars and throw the thing out in three years and then have to buy another one. Mm-hmm. Um to me, I guess that's that's worth something. Um
2: are there uh any American companies that are in this game?
1: There were so many at one point, and it all kind of just went the wayside. Hamilton is still holding out strong. Hamilton's based out of Pennsylvania, actually. Mm-hmm. um So, yeah, Hamilton's great stuff. Oh my God. Like Hamilton khaki, one of their field watches. I mean, 300 bucks. Things amazing. Swiss movement, Build America. Like, why wouldn't you buy one? I have one at home. Bulova's an American company, at least American founded company. Mm-hmm. They're not so much anymore, um, but they're you know they're they're kind of on the comeback. But a lot of those companies that were around, like in the like mid-century times, like uh, Elgin, they're gone. Uh, Brewer, they're gone. There's there's a lot of them just kind of faded away and, and disappeared.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: To maybe address the elephant in the room, the advent of smartwatches. Um, what brings you back to mechanical these mechanical devices over uh, a smartwatch? Because I know a lot of smartwatches are trying to make themselves look like mechanical watches.
1: Yeah, some of them do. I mean, the the only smartwatch that I have is my my Apple Watch. So mm-hmm. it's, there's you know, wearing that is like clearly this is not not that. Um, like I I appreciate everything with like the smartwatches. It's it's cool. Um, but. I'd rather, I'd rather wear one of these. I, you know, I, I feel I'm, I'm looking at my phone too much anyway. I don't need another screen to look at, on my wrist. That's right there. Yeah, you know what I mean. Um, and it doesn't have, like, I, I appreciate these for how they work. I like the mechanics of it mm-hmm. inside. So I'd rather just wear a little machine on my wrist that's keeping time. I think it's neater than just
0: a smartwatch mm-hmm. to me at least there's something more authentic and real about it
1: yeah yeah and not like a like oh my god i think the end is coming or something but <laughs> it's like oh no if the power grid goes down and the zombie apocalypse happens like i'll at least know what time it is for a while until mm-hmm. i'm eaten
0: no that's um well <laughs> and and it's good <laughs> as you said you know i i think that you collect we're sitting here in my library where i have at least four telephones that are not hooked up to anything and six cameras that i've never <laughs> used but i just admire them from a design and functionality standpoint even mm-hmm. if i don't actually use the functionality for it yeah i mean some of these brownies i'm sure if you could find the film they needed oh yeah would work yeah i actually think everything is functional <laughs> i just haven't used them for yeah. that function i mean
1: there's there's old um like
0: well i keeping
1: around on photography there's old like steel plate daguerreotype cameras that like can still work and they're 120 years old
0: mhm well, and, and i i think that is a neat thing about these these timepieces too is as you said these will work in decades from now yeah
1: mm-hmm. yeah i mean this this one is what 70 years old if um, if it's from the 50s mm-hmm. it still runs it still keeps time like pretty well yeah So I, I, I like that idea. You know, I'm like, uh, some of these that I have, like I, I buy and sell all the time. You know, I'm, um, we got pretty good at like flipping stuff. The market is very difficult to judge.
2: Is that a recent issue or just in general?
1: In general, you it's, it's worse than Bitcoin. You have no idea what's going to be worth anything in the future. Mm -hmm. I mean, I didn't, I never foresaw the inability to buy a stainless steel Rolex. You can't right now. You can't find them. Like mm. if you tried to if you walk into the only there's a very few places in the area that carry them. Um but like well Reason Gens has is a dealer here. But if you walk in, you're on a waiting list easily. They can't sell you the cheapest model Air King they have, but they have a platinum yacht master in the back for seventy thousand dollars they'll sell you. You can't get the cheap <laughs> the cheap ones, like the the price of all the stainless models has just gone through the roof. And mm. because of that All the used ones are now way more money. Like I could, this one I could sell and make money on easily. I don't want to, because I like it. Yeah. More recently, one of the guys on a forum I'm on, uh, made, I think $61,000 on a watch he bought because, um, so Paul Newman was a big watch guy. Oh yeah. Paul Newman had a Rolex Cosmograph, which was the precursor to the Daytona. Um, it was referred to as a Panda because it was a, White face with black subdials on it, um, and that went to uh, I th- it was Sotheby's I think it was a, one of the big New York auction houses and I think it sold for thirteen million dollars. And he some he had insider information that this watch was coming up to auction. He knew somebody in the business and figured every older Daytona model is going to go through the roof after that watch sells, and did. And he made a fortune on the thing.
0: Hmm. Now. I, I'm just thinking mm-hmm. of, of Paul Newman, and I I know of his interest in racing and motors too, which is also an interest that you have, mm-hmm. racing and and vehicles and motorcycles. Do you think that there's a lot of crossover in those two worlds?
1: Oh, it definitely is. Yeah, absolutely.
0: I mean, as I think,
1: I'll you know I'll watch Formula One, and it's nothing but advertisements for Rolex and Tag Heuer. You know, there's MotoGP, and it's just Tissot advertisements all over the place, like watches of kind of. Worked their way right into that because you know, you gotta what's your lap time? You need something accurate, buy this watch.
3: Mm.
0: Yeah, now if someone were interested in diving into the world of watches, what forums or resources would you recommend? Probably
1: the biggest forum is watchuseek.com, it's watch letter U and seek. Um, there is a, a ton of brand specific sections on the forum um and i mean hundreds of thousands of members worldwide it's huge um there's so much there to to read and learn and just people's experiences with different brands and just honestly just look on google there's so much out there right now because even though everything is crazy because of covid and stuff and smartwatches are starting to take over for whatever reason i've found that watches like as far as like like mechanical watches are kind of having a little more of a resurgence than they had a couple years ago mm-hmm. um, they're starting to get a little bit bigger but now i feel it's more people are are looking into them i don't know what's driving that but i think it's for the better because it'll just help the industry out
0: brian where can our listeners find you
1: nowhere i really don't have nowhere? any social media <laughs> yeah. all right not yeah. really i've got a i have an instagram that is uh brian underscore isn't underscore cool I, post, I I was posting a lot of watch stuff on there, but I really kind of fell off. Every once in a while, I'll throw up a picture of something I just got or something
0: I'm working on. Nick, thanks so much for being my co-interviewer today. Oh, of course. Thanks for having me. I, is there any place our listeners could find you? I just post on
2: Instagram at Nick Barcombe, B-A-R-C-O-M-B. Put up my artwork there, yeah.
0: Thanks for listening to this episode of The Enthusiasts Guild. You can subscribe and hear all of our stories through your podcast player of choice. Find us on Facebook at The Enthusiasts Guild, on Twitter at Enthusiast Guild, or contact us at the Enthusiastsguild at gmail.com.
3: Music.
2: Secret of Tiki Island by Kevin MacLeod. Link https colon slash slash, slash song slash 4331-secret-of-tiki-island.